Make sure to watch The Ringer's new live reaction show, Talk the Thrones. Each week, Andy Greenwald, mother of dragons Mallory Rubin, Chris Ryan, and our very own maester Jason Concepcion are coming to you live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones Season 7. Talk the Thrones will stream exclusively on Twitter and Periscope right after each episode ends and can be found on The Ringer's Twitter handle, at Ringer. Not the, just at Ringer. They'll be reacting at the same time as you, contextualizing the events and explaining everything everything that just unfolded again this show is called talk the thrones and you can stream it live after the east coast airings of game of thrones season seven on our twitter and periscope that's at ringer welcome to gm street part of the ringer podcast network i'm tate frazier and i'm joined by mr mike lombardi lombardi how you doing Football's back, Tate. Ain't that great? Yeah, I can't believe that. The Hall of Fame game is this Saturday. It's officially August. I feel like football season has finally hit me. I'm starting to watch, you know, training camp uh, footage right now. And you've actually been at the training camps. What, what training camps have you been to, Lombardi, since you've been out on the East Coast? Well, you know, it, it's fun because, you know, I don't go and report in and, like, use a media credential. I yeah. just kind of watch from the stands because it's kind of fun to do because then you don't have to worry about you know, who's watching and who's that. But I've been all up the East Coast from Baltimore up, up to uh, the – I'm going to go to the Jets next week because mm. my son works there, Giants, all that. And it's early. You know, the thing I like about watching camps is everybody makes judgments. I see people going through and saying, this guy had a bad day, this guy had a bad day. And then today I read in the paper where uh, Sean McVay says that, you know, this running back has really established himself as the backup runner. After three or four days of what I've watched, nobody's established himself. Just getting through practice is establishing yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to judge and evaluate these camps. But, you know, it's good to see people. It's good to react. You wear a fake nose and mustache, and you go and pretend you don't know anything. A man of the people. So anyone at camp, uh, if you're sitting with the Nobody crowd, knows. yeah, just look around. See if you see Mike Lombardi. He'll be wearing one of those old, uh, you know, with the big nose and the big glasses, big mustache, yeah. you know, Mr. Potato Head type. Um, there you go. <laughs> Lombardi, I want to talk about some bad news that has been coming out of Baltimore, and we'll start with that. Yeah. Um, John Harbaugh has tried to keep it positive. Joe Flacco has a back injury. There's been some mixed reports on, you know, how affected his back is. Will he be able to come back, you know, early on in the season? But regardless, they have a quarterback situation in Baltimore. Ryan Mallett, there's been some bad stuff coming out of there for how he looked when he took over the reins uh, with the first team. What's going on in Baltimore, and uh, what are you hearing on Flacco? Well, look, I... I think anytime you're a quarterback, and if anybody has played quarterback in the NFL, when your quarterback has a back injury, you have to be worried about it. And mm-hmm. there's no minor back injury. Like, there's no tweak. If you have a minor back injury, it's no big deal. Yep. You know, I don't know the full medical report. I just know backs. And I know that when Joe Montana hurt his back in 1986, 87 season, you know, the next year we traded for Steve Young because Bill Walsh had a phobia about quarterbacks with back injury. And I've had one too. I've never coached the quarterback position. I've never really been involved in the meetings, but Walsh's judgment when quarterbacks have backs. And I think that Flacco, when you look over the landscape of what he's done since the Super Bowl, I think the Ravens are 31 and 33 over regular season games during that point. Mm -hmm. I think they've only won in the last two years, Tate, they've only won four road games. They're four and twelve on the road. So this Raven team and Flacco hasn't played very well. Which leads us to the big issue, right? Yep. The backup quarterback. Flacco, how hurt is he? No one knows. Will he play? No one knows. Okay? So now Mallet comes in and they've watched Mallet play. And I was a huge Ryan Mallet fan coming out. Coming out of Arkansas. Yeah, I thought he could be a really good player. Bobby Petrino was high on him, got drafted by the Patriots. 
But you know that thing I did about you know quarterbacks and they had to have these seven characteristics? Well, Mallett's work ethic really wasn't – I misjudged that. Yep. His ability to really be the guy and want to take ownership of it. And I think that's what they're seeing in Baltimore. They see a talented guy. They see a guy who likes to turn the ball over. And so now their eyes have shifted somewhere else, and because of the Harbaugh relationship. Look, John Harbaugh listens to about three people in the world. Yep. He listens to his brother. He listens to his dad. That's about it. And I may be somebody else, and his brother loves Colin Kaepernick. And when you look at just that, the Ryan Mallett situation, we obviously saw in Houston, he was given a chance to be the starter there, you know, under a, a guy that was his coordinator in New England. It didn't quite work out. He had some problems with showing up on time. All that stuff reflects itself and works itself out. So Ryan Mallett's probably not going to be your best option behind Joe Flacco. Colin Kaepernick is obviously the big name. You mentioned uh, the Jim Harbaugh relationship. John Harbaugh, I saw him this morning. He was on ESPN getting asked about the situation, and he said some flattering things about Kaepernick. He said he wasn't worried about distractions with the team. He was always impressed. You know, he's like, Kaepernick was a couple plays away from winning a Super Bowl. I saw it firsthand. If Kaepernick does come into that Baltimore locker room, I mean, they obviously have, you know, had to deal with some some big storylines, you know, over the years, obviously with the Ray Rice thing. Do you think that, you know, Harbaugh and that team has the infrastructure in place in Baltimore to be able to handle Colin Kaepernick, even if he is, you know, a three to four week kind of stopgap between, you know, Joe Flacco getting recovered? Well, I think this. I think, look, you know, he's got Greg Roman who coached him in San Francisco. I think if you're Steve Bishotti, you have a couple issues here. You have the risk-reward. Yep. And you know that if – and the reason why they're doing all these poll studies – remember this, nobody's ever dedicated a monument to a committee. <laughs> and the Ravens are holding committee meetings now because they want to see who – they want to take the temperature of Baltimore to see what the reaction would be mm-hmm. to Colin Kaepernick. And when you do that, you're not going to make good decisions. They're doing it, and why are they doing it? They're doing it because they feel like, and this has been reliably reported to me, that they're afraid they could lose potential suite sales, millions of dollars on their suites if they sign this player. Now, for me, I think it's a football-only decision. You have to look at Kaepernick, and you know how I feel about Kaepernick, the player. He's not a West Coast quarterback, even though he's played that way for Jim. And I can see how Jim feels about him, because he played well for Jim. Yep. But he hasn't played well since Jim left. Jim's not in Baltimore. His brother John is, and his brother John has Marty Morningwig as his coordinator. He's got Greg Roman. I just don't see it. I, I don't see the same player in Kaepernick. So what I see the ownership of the Ravens saying is, do we take this risk? Because they can't see it on the tape either. Yep. If this was a slam-dunk football decision and Kaepernick was great on tape, then Bashadi would say, look, I, we'll, we'll win the fans back with what he does on the field. But because there's such uncertainty on the field, I don't think they have that urgency to want to sign him. And that's why they're doing the committee thing. And, you know, committees don't work. Yeah, committees have never been a thing that's really worked out of the quarterback position. It's sort of finding your main guy. I mean, is there another quarterback that's on the market? I mean, we, you know, there's a well, Jay Cutler out there. Obviously, I'm there's sure a lot they of call da- Jay Cutler. Yeah. Look, 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 they probably will deny it up to, the, up to the heavens. But, look, if you're doing your job and you're in the Baltimore front office, you've called Buzz Cook and asked if Jay Cutler would, would quit Fox Sports after making no game appearances and come play. Because Baltimore... Look, they're eight and eight, and they're five and eleven. The last two seasons, they're, they have to win. The pressure's on John to win. He, that Super Bowl in twelve isn't going to count for anything. Remember, they fired this owner, Brian Bryabillick. He went to a Super Bowl and won one. Yep. So you're working for a team that has fired a Super Bowl winning coach. You know you've got to win, and they've got some pieces in place to be a good football team. But if they don't get play from their quarterback, if they don't get consistent play, which Flacco hasn't given them, and I'm a Flacco guy. 
I think they've done a bad job of building the team around Flacco. Perryman gets hurt again today. The guy's always hurt. He's a first-round pick. They have receivers that don't fit the offense. I mean, Flacco's best year was with Gary Kubiak. And for whatever reason, they go back to a West Coast system instead of an outside zone play-action pass system, which is what he's most effective in. And I think that's the disconnect in Baltimore. And I think when John, if John has a great year, great. If he has a bad year and he's not the coach of the Ravens, he's going to look back and say, you know what? I didn't fix this offense the way I needed to fix it. Yeah, and we've, you know, even with Dennis Pitta, Tavon Young, there's just a lot of stuff going on in Baltimore, Baltimore with they, injuries. They got guys hurt yeah. every day. I mean, you know, they, Tavon Young gets hurt, Dennis Pitta's out, and then we see Perryman gets hurt today. I mean, they lost a, they lost a tight end. They had so, the rookie uh, guard, Nico. You know, yep. Yeah, I mean, down. so they've they've had some real injuries, and I think that's going to be an issue for them as they move forward. And and look, they have to win. They ha- they have to prove that they're not a five and eleven team. And when you've won only four road games in the last two years, you, there's problems with your team because if you're a general manager, you evaluate your team on the road. You know, it's one thing to be seven and one at home, and you could steal a win at home because of the crowd noise and all that. But winning, the best thing about winning is on the road. The sound of silence is what makes things matter. When you beat somebody, like if you go into Kansas City and you beat the Chiefs and, and there's 70,000 people who all were red to the game and you're leaving and you're walking off the field and they're not saying anything except cursing at you, there's yep. no greater feeling in the world. Yep. Look, they've only won four road games. Two of those road wins were against Cleveland. The other road win came against Jacksonville. And the one stellar road win came in Pittsburgh. That's, the, that's their signature road win in the last two years. The other three... They're expected to beat those teams, and they've lost to Jacksonville down there before. So I think, to me, you evaluate your team on the road, and this is where Baltimore fell flat. When you were mentioning teams that always thrive and like to silence crowds, the, the, one, the one name that came to my mind was Tom Brady. And, you know, all, all fair, you actually just brought up an interesting point when we were talking about quarterbacks and injuries. You know, Flacco's going to be watched, you know, from every single thing about his back. That people are going to have their eye on that moving forward, even when he does return. A guy that people are going to be watching now also that, you know, you mentioned during your time at camp is Tom Brady. Tom Brady's wife, Giselle, comes out in the offseason, talks about some of the uh, undocumented concussions that he's dealt with over the years playing football. And now that we're going to New York and where there's going to be a review process, do you see that that could be a trend that's, you know, upcoming this season with quarterbacks? I mean, could you see Brady being flagged by the actual league office and taken out of a game? Um, You know, just because of the way that they're going to treat quarterbacks this season, you know, the security of those guys is at a premium level at this point. Especially right, with we see the Boston University report that comes out where they say, you know, 99 out of 100 players have some form of brain damage that played football. And John Urschel, I think his name is retired from the Ravens because of it, a smart kid that really had probably some other things going on outside of football, but this made his decision easy for him. I think this really is going to be a huge factor because the commission, they're going to be watching games in the league office. And just hypothetically, you know, there's no record that, that Brady had any concussions because yep. he never reported any. And I'm not disputing Giselle, and I'm not disputing anything, and I'm not trying to stir anything up here. What I'm simply saying is this. Quarterbacks are going to be watched closely by the league office. And because there's communication between New York City and those game fields, it's easy for them to buzz in and say, hey, send a neutral, send a neutral physician and just check out the quarterback. Okay? Yep. Because if Goodell is responsible for player safety – that's something he has to do. You can say it's not fair. You can say it's not right. No. If you look at a player, and we've often watched games, and we've often seen quarterbacks' faces, and we've also seen guys, that guy looks hurt even though he's playing. It's happened all the time. But they see that. They have a 
a duty to at least ask it. And I think that's one of the things that, that teams have to have two quarterbacks because because of this mechanism that they have now, it's also going to be to protect the quarterbacks. And I think what you're going to see is a guy like Cam Newton gets hurt. Like the Cam Newton hit in the opening game against Denver. Yep. Everybody knew he got hit hard. Okay, yep. He stayed on the field. If that play happens again, and it's a neutral, and you're in New York City, and you see it. You're going to buzz to somebody. Hey, can we send the neutral physician guy over there? Now everybody will say no. Well, that's not his jurisdiction. It's in control of the referees. I don't think so. I think when you see something obvious like that, I think they're going to make a call. And a lot of this came back up. Uh, the rookie for the Jets, number six overall pick, Jamal Adams out of LSU. He was at a. He was next to Roger Goodell. Um, it was a fan forum for the Jets on Monday, and he was asked about CTE, and he said uh, he would prefer to die on the football field over anywhere else. And it, you know, right. it flew up this whole controversy, which you know, every single time that CTE is mentioned, it's gonna, you know, get people rubbing and and talking about this whole situation. So if we have those Cam Newton hits, or Brady takes a big hit, or even Flacco comes back and takes a big hit, I mean, there basically what you're saying, there's going to be a, a time where New York and maybe the field officials or the teams themselves are they're in a position where they don't to really know what to do it's it's about the product or is it about safety of the players and right and they have to use pr- player safety and it's not meddling in the game but yep. it's clearly you you've got that's why you have a neutral physician there and i'm saying to me as an executive somebody who's built teams if you don't prepare for this inevitability you know then you end up with with the with joe flacco at her, who gets hit say joe flacco gets hit and you can feel it you know or say you can just see him spit up blood outside you know you're he goes back in the huddle and you can see it you know maybe he doesn't want to take himself out of the game but you see that you're gonna you're gonna alert yourself and do that and i think you better have two really good quarterbacks on your roster now i, I don't see teams being able to survive and win games and maintain excellence without having at least two now i know some teams don't have one but I think that's the paramount thing you must look for is to find a way. And that's where, if I'm Baltimore, I don't think the answer to the Joe Flacco problem is going to be Colin Kaepernick. I think the answer to the Joe Flacco problem is probably on another team somewhere. It's to make a trade for a guy. From a GM perspective, as you were saying, I mean, do you feel like you, you would have more respect from your players by being able to maybe let them know that, hey, it's not just New York that's going to be looking out for your safety. We as a team are going to be looking out for your safety and make sure that you guys – is that something that you would want to address on your own terms? I mean, you're always talking about player safety, and I think yep. you can't have it out of both sides of your mouth. If you're talking player safety, look, I've always been from the belief that if a player's hurt, if he's 60%, that's why we have him backups because there's no sense in player who's half hurt to put him out there. He's only going to mess up the team. You're better off playing a backup. Now, most people don't believe that rhetoric. I do. I think that that's why you have depth on the team because you don't want to play a guy who's half hurt. But when you have a guy who's perhaps a little dizzy but he doesn't want to come out of the game, this is the area, this is the gray area, this is the variance that we can't seem to capture because what Giselle said was, hey, my husband had a bunch of concussions. There's no record of it because obviously he didn't report it there. I'm not calling anybody a liar and I'm not stirring anything up. What I'm saying is if you're a coach, you better make sure your backup quarterback's ready to play because at any moment that could happen. Yeah, that just adds value to guys like Derek Anderson, just, you know, big-time backup guys that seem to be ready to come in at any point uh, to contribute to a team, a Chase Daniel type. It's one buzz. All it takes is a buzz. Hey, just check it out. Just check it out. I mean, we saw it. Look, remember the last playoff game in Pittsburgh had? We saw it there. You know, we saw the quarterback, Matt Moore of Miami. We saw him get hit. Everybody saw that he was hurt, right? You think that buzz isn't going to come in earlier than what it did? Of course it is. And I think you better prepare for it. All right, Lombardi, I have some questions about OBJ wanting to be the highest paid player in the NFL. But before we get to that, 
A quick word from our sponsor, Flea Flicker. Training camp is a time of optimism for NFL fans. It's also the time to set up your fantasy leagues. And if you're looking to take your league to the next level, yes, the next level, check out Flea Flicker, the platform that both serious commissioners and beginners rave about. League sizes range from 4 to 24 teams, so it's perfect for inviting family and friends. And features like email drafts make time management a breeze. League members also love Flea Flicker's lightning-fast live scoring, easy-to-use interface, blockbuster trade features, and new mobile app. Best of all, it's 100% free. You don't need pay for an expensive commissioner service when Flea Flicker offers more flexibility for free. So don't settle for unstable sites and apps that let you down on Sundays and can't support your league's rules. Pick Flea Flicker. Do it for a better fantasy football experience that's fun, easy, fast, and free. Visit fleaflicker.com slash ringer today. That's F-L-E-A, flicker.com slash ringer, the perfect site for your fantasy season. All right, Lombardi, OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. comes out and says he wants to be the highest paid player in football. He's probably one of the most likable players uh, as far as marketability. The guy's making supposedly $10 million off in endorsements this season, heading into the season. But he comes out, makes this claim that he wants to be the highest paid player in football. Um, When you look at that, just from a GM perspective, the cap allocation that has to play out for him to have that, what do the Giants have to do to get Odell Beckham signed and and, and meet his demands? Because that's a a lofty goal. I think, look, if you're the New York Giants and you are trying to do a contract for Odell Beckham, you write down three numbers. You write down the number that he's owed this season, mm-hmm. you write down his option year, and you write down his franchise number. And then you look and see that Des Bryant's due to make $17 million. Yep. So now basically you've got the framework of a deal. You're saying, okay, you, you're, you think you're better than Des Bryant. Let's look at our stats. Let's look at our comparables. And you do a compare analysis. Let's look at Julio Jones's numbers. You're better than yep. him. Let's look at all that. And then do you really think that you're going to make $25 million? Like, where is, are you going to get – where do, where do you justify $25 million? It's like if you want to sell your house and say you think your house is worth $5 million, but you're in a neighborhood that the house is only worth two and a half, you're not going to get $5 million for it. And you got to hold out, especially when the Giants can add the numbers up and they can franchise them and move along. So I think a lot of it's just a bunch of hot air, but that's what Odell does. He gives you a lot of hot air. I think he's got to produce more. Look at that playoff game. Yep. I mean, you know, if he's your best player, he drops some balls in that Green Bay game that typically shouldn't be dropped. Now, we know he's got great hands. Sometimes they're inconsistent, but they're great. I'm not picking on Odell. I think the Giants have created a little bit of a situation. I've never seen an owner of a team come out and say, we plan to pay a player this much money and have the team really have it not affect him. I think it's really a difficult challenge. And Des Bryant's, you know, first on that list, seventeen million. That's a little bit less than ten percent of the cap. If you're taking twenty five million, I mean, you're getting in the double digits of the cap numbers. I mean, what does that do for the rest of the team? How can they find the money? It's not like basketball where you know someone can make twenty five million dollars or whatever it is, thirty million dollars, and you know there's you know fifteen people at most on a roster. I mean, there's fifty three people. You got to add it in the practice squad. I mean, there, there's just so many people, and for one person to dominate that much of the cap, it seems. Like it's it's a tall task for anyone in the Giants front office that's right now trying to put a package together for Odell, and that's for right. sure. Right, and I think what the Giants are saying by saying we're not going to do anything, Odell's not going to do this, was when when Eli goes, then they can allocate some more money to him, but they're not going to have a quarterback, yeah. and so they'll probably have a cheaper quarterback because they're going to draft one. And if they have a cheaper quarterback that works out, and maybe it's Davis Webb who they drafted, maybe he ends up being the heir apparent, and they'll have four years of a cheap contract with him, and then they can kind of exchange the, the cap allocation between the quarterback and the receiver. But eventually it catches up to you. 
you know, it's going to catch up to Dallas, too. I mean, they're going to pay Prescott some money once this contract, they're able to redo it, and then it's going to balance out. You paid a great receiver. You just can't pay a great receiver like a quarterback, or else the, what's the structure? And when, when Odell says that he's going to get paid outside the pay structure, I don't see it. And we've seen guys, you know, filter through this Giants team that are, quote-unquote, the great receivers. You know, we saw Hakeem Nix. We saw Victor Cruz. I mean, even Manningham had, you know, the obviously the Super Bowl year when they went in 2011. But from Eli's perspective, if he hears OBJ demanding this much money, that obviously means, you know, he's kind of, he's a lame duck yeah. almost at that point if, if they're already willing to say they're going to give him that kind of money. I mean, what is the Brandon Marshall-Eli Manning veteran relationship? I mean, is it, do we get one of those things where Eli Manning could freeze out OBJ just knowing that, you know, he, he's going to end up losing his money to the guy eventually in the next few years? I think, I think there'll, be, there'll be a complete, a complete revolt. I mean, Odell's got to be the guy for the Giants to be great, but they yeah. have some other receivers, you know, and everybody's talking about how good Ingram is, and to me, Ingram's going to have to learn how to block. I mean, Ingram's going to go on the field, and he's going to help in the passing game, but once people realize he's a receiver, not a run, not a tight end, he, he, if he blocks a little bit, he could be great. If he doesn't block, then it's going to be a matchup issue. So, I think a lot of pieces are in place for the Giants, and I think they're counting on Eli to be a really good player, and they're counting on Odell to be a better player than he was in the Green Bay game. And then you got guys even like Sterling Shepard, a young guy that, I mean, sort of had a breakout year last year, and who knows? I mean, if he if he blows up, then maybe OBJ is not you know becomes more expendable. Not to say that Sterling Shepard. Yeah, I just don't think the Giants can afford to. The Giants are yeah. all down the street with Odell. I mean, they they love him. The marketing, New York. I mean, there's no Odell kind of has captured the market. I don't see how anybody. The Giants are trapped to pay him. I think they know it. and They've admitted it. So, so I mean, in what you're saying is good business in theory, but it's not going to happen in practice. Mm. That's interesting stuff. I, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see how that all plays out. Obviously, in New York, we'll get all the drama that uh, we could even ask That'll for. That'll be happening all the time. Okay. Yeah, I mean, since the Knicks since the Knicks got rid of Phil, we have more drama now. We can we can find a way to get it. <laughs> Talking more football because the Jets, uh, you know, people. It's just sad drama over in go Jets. Go easy land. on my Jets. Now. Yeah, you know, my son's there, so go easy on the Jets. <laughs> Hey, I grew up a Jets fan. I'm I'm a fan of gangrene always. Uh, and let's just talk about some other storylines that are around the league. Christian McCaffrey has captured a lot of headlines um, in Carolina. Uh, Jonathan Stewart came out and said that uh, no one, he, he doesn't think anyone can guard the guy one-on-one. There's been a lot of reports, uh, a lot of people saying that he's too small, but then, you know, Christian McCaffrey is, you know, 210 pounds. He's actually yeah. maybe a little underrated uh, with his size. Um when you just hear all this McCaffrey stuff going on, I mean, do, do you feel good about that for him, or is the spotlight getting a little too bright for him? I think it's going to be a really good player. I think the versatility of him, I think the thing that you, you have to do to really be an effective offense is put a team on the field and then shift players around. And mm. when you shift players around, you change your personality, but you haven't substituted. That's the key. When the Patriots have a really good team, they have two tight ends. They have Gronkowski, and they have whether it was Hernandez or they have uh, Martellus Bennett, so they can be what we call a twelve team, but at times they can be a ten team, which is no tight ends because they take Bennett and and Gronk and flex them out. They can be a twelve team, which is two tight ends. They can be an eleven team, which is one tight end and flex Gronk out. And as a defense, you have to match up to it. Well, McCaffrey's kind of that kind of player. Yep. He's in the backfield, you know, and he's in the backfield with another back, and they're in say two. So they have two backs in the backfield, tight end, and then two receivers. Well, then they put him in the slot, and all of a sudden they're in 11 personnel. If you stay base to that, if you stay base to that formation, then they got the matchup they want. If you go nickel to that, then they got to be able to run the football effectively. 
And if you do that, then McCafferty becomes a different player. And then they can do all sorts of things. So they can, If you go nickel to it, then they'll take McCafferty and flex him out, keep him away from – they'll go into a, what we call a slot formation and put McCafferty away from the slot and make you have to defend the box. And if Storch running the ball hard, that's a tough matchup. So they substitute without substitute. Yeah. That's the key to basketball. That's the key to football. And so, you know, the Bulls, when they were great with the Pippen teams, they could do it. That's what you want to get to in Batman football, and they can do that with Carolina. A lot of people killed Cam in that Super Bowl because a lot of, they were running these blitz, basically, where if Stewart was staying yeah. in to help block, the, whoever was guarding Stewart was blitzing yeah. every time, and Cam wasn't picking that up, and they, they got him three or four times on that. And with McCaffrey, McCaffrey's kind of like a Keekly type. you know, he, he reads coverages and calls out stuff, too. And if you have McCaffrey, Stewart, and Cam, and they're lined up in those two you know, running back sets, I mean, it's one of those things where it's really going to help Cam out. And it came out that Cam wanted McCaffrey there in Carolina. Um, I've heard a lot of good stuff out of Cam that they're getting along really well. And uh, I don't know. I feel like that's a that's a sneaky addition for uh, and a sneaky steal for maybe Rookie of the Year if McCaffrey has a big year for uh, Carolina. I think he's good. And I think, look, everybody says, well, you know, he's going to have to protect. Yeah, he's going to have to protect a little bit. But here's the thing. You don't want to blitz him. Yep. If you blitz him and, and he free releases, you better make sure you got somebody covering him. Yep. So, you know, it's like one thing, you know, it's one thing is you can maybe do some things to, to him, but then when he counters you, then it becomes a problem. I think McCaffrey is a good player. Yeah, he's on uh, Darren Sproles, Danny Woodhead type thing. Uh, but, you right. know, he's big, exactly. he, he gets compared but to Woodhead. Bigger. Yeah, but he's bigger, exactly. He's 210 pounds. He's a, it's a lot yep. bigger than uh, little Danny Woodhead, who is a, an amazing guy. Another storyline, uh, Lombardi, Tremont Williams signs with the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. When you look at Williams, that addition for the Cardinals, you know, what what will that do for that defense? That's a, that's a pretty big signing for them. Yeah, I, I think, I think. look, I think the Cardinals have had one major one major need all offseason. It's yep. been the corner opposite Patrick Peterson. Yep. And they haven't been able to fix it. it Tremont Williams is not going to fix it because what, what's going to happen is the same thing that happened in the playoff in, in the first game of the season when New England went after their rookie corner from Texas A&M Williams. I mean, you have to have another corner. And Arizona, for whatever reason, never really was able to get it. And sometimes it happens to you. It's not, it's not the fault. Sometimes you want this guy, you can't get him. Try to sign this guy in free agency, can't get him. Mm-hmm. But to me... When they sign Tremaine Williams, it tells me they haven't fixed it and it's going to be an ongoing problem and get ready to keep watching it all preseason because he's not going to solve it. When he was in Cleveland last year, people were going after him, and I think people will go after him if he's in Arizona. Arizona's got the win with their rush, not with their coverage. Yeah, well, hopefully the Cardinals can flip things around. Bruce Arians, obviously, very lovable guy, enjoyable guy, yeah. funny guy. So good book. I mean, Bruce's book's an interesting book. If you want to talk about quarterbacks, the, it's an interesting book. The quarterback whisperer. That was a nice plug. I'm actually whisper, yeah. yeah reading that right now. Um, Rob Ninkovich, your boy from uh, the Patriots days, finally decides to retire. He was actually on first take this morning talking about his decision that went into retiring. He went out on top. Feels pretty content with his career. Um, when you look at Nikovic and wh- wh- where he's at right now, I mean, it seems, he said he probably got out of football a year or two early, and he feels pretty good about that decision. What, just, you know, what is what is his impact on the Patriots and now in retirement? What, what do you see for Nikovic? Oh, I, I love I love Rob. Rob was one of those guys who, you know, it, it, you could pick on Rob in a team meeting, and he could take it, and he <laughs> was a good leader and played hard. He could play multiple positions. And I think he did the right thing. I think, you know, as, as the, as the 15 and 16 season grew up, I think he, it was starting to slide a little bit. And could he play five games? Sure. Could he play eight games? Yeah. But to play 16 and handle the pounding, I think that was going to be difficult for him. So great pro. He was always ready to play, played hard, overachiever type of guy, played smart, sneaky, good, make clutch plays when he had to make them. 
could win games for them. I think they're going to miss his leadership. I think they've got some good players. The wise kid they drafted in the third round, it looks like he could be a really good player. Conan Ealy, who they traded for with the Carolina Panthers, he's got to jump up. But I think this wise kid, I I think wise is really going to be a surprise. Uh, He was a talented rusher at Arkansas, hurt as a senior, and then as a junior, he could flash and make a lot of plays. He's really long. He's really powerful. I think they found themselves a really good player in that round, and I think the competition for Rob was going to be tough to where could he make the team? Maybe. Could he have not made the team? Maybe. And I think he did the right thing, and I have nothing but great respect for Rob. Yeah, he was great this morning. Stephen A. Smith was uh, trying to go at him a little bit. You know, uh, Max Max was getting after him about the uh, the Giants game, and you know he was taking it all in stride and seemed like he was pretty content with his career. And it, it it was cool to talk about like that second iteration of the the Patriots dynasty. You know, not the early two thousands. You know, Brady hung around, but then they pretty much reinvented themselves and, and made right. this secondary run. And he was a part I of mean, that second run. I mean, they've had two fifties. They've had two yep. players that wore fifty. Mike Brable and Rob Ninkovich, both really good players. I mean, Brable was out. Outstanding, different players, similar. You know, they get this guy off the New Orleans Saints practice squad. Parcells always wanted to get him in Miami, had him in Miami. The coaches didn't want to keep him. And then he ends up in New England, and he ends up being a really good player. And I, I think one thing, you know, Stephen A. Smith or Max Kellerman coming after you, I mean, Rob's taking it from Belichick in a team meeting. I've heard it. Shoot, that those two guys, that's like small potatoes for him. Yeah, he was uh, he was enjoying the moment. You can tell that, you know, yeah, he's one I of mean, those guys that'll go on TV. Hey, if you could, if you could take it from Belichick in a team meeting, then you could take it from anybody. It ain't gonna bother you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, it was funny. I saw a video today of uh, Bill Belichick like throwing a dummy at Tom Brady while while doing drills, and I was like, Bill Belichick yeah. is never gonna stop coaching football. Uh, there's, no, I mean, and the no reason hope. he's doing that is because what people what people don't understand is when you know when you go back and watch, you read all these practices. All oh, the guy had a good seven on seven. Well. You know, none of that is really like the game. He's throwing the dummy at him because there's bodies flying around your feet when you play quarterback. And if you look down and see where the bodies are, you're going to miss the receiver and get hit in the mouth. Yep. So he's trying to simulate games on the field, and it cracks me up when I watch these practices. And the game, the practices are so perfect that they have nothing. They remind that there's nothing like the game itself. And so that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, I've seen a lot of reports out of Patriots camp. I feel like every time on ESPN or FS1 or NFL Network, whatever you're watching, everyone's like, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine up in New England. You know, it's pretty much the, yep. the proper term. So they're doing well. Tom Brady, still figuring it out. And the final point of the day, final story that I just want to get your thoughts on as a GM, Jason Garrett, he finally speaks. He comes out of the woodwork today and he says, Ezekiel, it was almost like a message through the media to Ezekiel Elliott. He, he was like, if you're, a, if you're a big sponsor and you're doing endorsements right now, you're looking at the Dak Prescotts of the world or the Jordan Speaks of the world, you're not quite looking at Ezekiel Elliott. And he has the potential to be one of those guys that, you know, has his Q scores way up and is a great endorser of brands and makes money off the field. Um, as a GM, I mean, do you respect your coach going out there and, and, and doing that first off? And do you think that actually could speak to Ezekiel Elliott and that's something that he'll, you know, it'll make him rethink sort of the, the off-the-field stuff that's going on? I, I think this. I think when when you want to direct something to a player, the best thing is to call him in and close the door and tell him to his face. Yep. I think subliminal messages don't work. I think that if you're talking about leadership and one of the areas of leadership, you're talking about management of trust, the players have to trust you that you're going to be honest. 
And when you start doing passive-aggressive things like that, it won't work. I think this is a challenge for Jason Garrett, this team. You know, I admire him for putting the Springsteen music in there. I'm, I'm loving that. <laughs> but I think it's going to be a challenge. I think he's going to have to do it. I think he's going to have to take the same kind of personality that Bruce took, you know, whether it was the Brilliant Disguise out tour or the uh, Human Touch. or He's going to have to really devote himself to this because this is going to be a challenge all season long to balance this team from the highs of the 13 wins to the bumps in the road. They could be the better team and still only win 10 games. I think this is we're going to find out what kind of coach Jason Garrett is this year. This is really going to be the defining moment. Yeah, I think Springsteen was a better story. I should have ended on that. That was a much higher note. Yeah. I, I uh, think way higher note. Yeah. Way higher note. But look, you know, I mean, but look, here's all I can say. You know, this one Springsteen song that I would tell you is two steps up, one step back. That's what the Cowboys can't be. That is uh, the perfect way to end this week of GM Street with a nice little Bruce Springsteen line from Lombardi. I wish you would have sang it, though. That would have probably been the... No, the I can't sing it. But I, 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 every, every, every day I ride my bike to work, I've been playing the Tunnel of the Love album, so I got that song cold. Don't worry. I got it, Tate. I'll play it for you next week when I'm back in the studio. Mike Lombardi, born to run, and uh, that's what he's always doing. And uh, always with a hungry heart. <laughs> this has been GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. 